that uh, traditionally is called Lent is uh, a time that uh, provides an opportunity for us to do just that, to humble ourselves, uh, to return to the Lord, uh, which is the meaning of the word repentance, which is a, a key phrase in uh, the, this season, is uh, humbling ourselves, asking forgiveness, repenting of uh, ways of life, and asking God to fill us in new and fresh ways. Lent isn't a word you're going to find in Scripture, but the concept that is there is uh, always good. It's kind of similar to the season uh, that we call Advent season, which is the, the time leading up to the, and the anticipation of leading up to the coming of Jesus uh, at Christmas. And this is uh, the anticipation leading up to, in a far different way, uh, leading up to the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus. So I want to talk today uh, about fasting uh, because uh, one of the things that people traditionally ask around this season is what are you giving up for Lent? So I'm calling this message sort of fasting or following. Uh, Write down number one, that Lent isn't mainly about what we give up. Lent isn't mainly about what we give up as if it's just entirely uh, uh, a time of kind of loss. Uh, it's not ne- mainly about what we give up. It, it might actually, number two, involve something that we give ourselves to. So not just giving something up, but it's also appropriate to say, what, what are you going to be giving yourself to in this uh, season of time? Right down number three, it, it isn't even primarily about us. It isn't even primarily about us. What are you giving up for Lent? Uh, it, it's so like us, wouldn't you say? It's so like us to make Lent about us, to make Lent something of focusing on ourselves, which is a, one could argue we do that most of the rest of the year. So do we need another season to focus on us? But if you think about even this time uh, in, our, uh, in this season uh, that we're in, uh, it's really not about us, but number four, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and what he gave up for us, what he gave up for us. As you think about it, this season leads us through and leads us up to that final week especially Lent leads us to Jesus, who is our anointed king. We recognize that on Palm Sunday. But we tend to make this about us. Lent leads us to that Thursday night when we shared together and we, just as we're reminded of the Last Supper of Jesus, as he talks about his body broken, his blood given for others, as we look at Jesus praying in the garden, and focusing on what his father wants, we tend to make this time about us. Lent leads us to Jesus and his cross on Good Friday, and yet we focus on ourselves often. Lent leads us to Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday, and we are preoccupied with our own lives and concerns. In one sense, it is about us. It's about us and our need to repent, our needs for for rebirth and regeneration, It's about us, our need for uh, reformation and transformation. And it's about us and our need to humble ourselves 
as Pam shared, before our Savior, before our King. So it can be uh, about fasting, uh, but it's also about feasting. It's about focusing on Jesus and inviting him to uh, transform us. It, the next line, it, it could be about foregoing or doing away or uh, holding back from engaging in something, but it's also about being filled. It could be about fasting, in a sense, from me, from ourselves. But it's fasting from me so I can focus on him, so I can fix my eyes on him, so I can follow him. And uh, to start our season of Lent, I thought it would be appropriate to focus on the time when Jesus begins his, uh, his uh, public ministry as an adult. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to ask you to, to just kind of in the back of your mind notice how much the Holy Spirit is involved in all that's going on here. So Jesus, we begin full of the Holy Spirit. This is, of course, following his own baptism. He left the Jordan, the river. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted. Well, that's partly this season of reflecting on the 40 days leading up to the cross, is thinking about this own season of, uh, Jesus' own season of, of relinquishing, uh, of letting go of something that uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. Bread, food is positive, and yet Jesus relinquishes them uh, as the Father has led through the Holy Spirit. He was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. I think that would be an understatement, right? At the end of 40 days of, of uh, doing without. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus' response came directly from God's word. It is written. People do not live on bread alone. The most important thing in life is not my next meal. Most important thing in life is not physical provision. Jesus knew physical things can never satisfy our, our deepest hunger. Physical needs and wants, Tom Wright says, are important, but loyalty to God is even more important. And that passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, sometimes in the New Testament you see a brief quote from Scripture, and uh, as we do with things that are a part of our lives or a part of our hearts, uh, they can be referred to in, in a sense kind of shorthand, and uh, people understand and can fill in the blanks of what is fully being said. And so in American history, I could simply say four score, and I just can say that word, and it takes us back to the the horrible war between the states and the, and the stakes that were so high in trying to give freedom and dignity to people who were treated as less than that. Or I could say, I have a dream, and we're taken back to uh, an extraordinary uh, nation-changing speech that focused on that whole uh, era of civil rights. And we, we understand the context and the, the, the depth of what is being said is not just simply these words, so when Jesus said it, it from Deuteronomy 8.3 that people do not live by bread, bread alone, uh, we know as we look at that passage that the next words are what? 
but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's saying uh, bread is good, physical needs are important, but loyalty to God, putting God first, listening to God's voice is even more important. And so we ask ourselves if we're full of the word of God as, as Jesus was. The devil, verse 5, led him up to a high place. He showed him in an instant all the mountains, uh, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anybody I want to. And if you worship me, it will all be yours. It's all been given to me. Well, in one sense, uh, it's uh, accurate, the first part of what he says. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said that saying that, does not mean that God had delivered it to him, but that human beings had yielded it to him. I have been given all the authority and splendor of the world. Human beings had granted that by our choices to him. But Satan is really saying, the devil is really saying to Jesus here, is look at look what I have, but it can all be yours. The focus is on the devil. If you worship me, it'll all be be yours. Look what can be yours, he's saying. He's tempting him to uh, a selfish life. And Jesus answered in verse 8, again from Deuteronomy this time, chapter 6. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Jesus knows that loyal commitment to God gives everything that we need. We don't need to seek things for ourselves. God provides for us. We want to put him first, not ourselves first. And Jesus models that posture for us as directed and uh, uh, focused in the word of God. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And then asked Jesus something fairly fr frivolous. In a sense, he kind of asks him to, to show off, uh, to make God protect him. Uh, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourselves down from here. Because the Bible says, Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your feet, your foot against a stone. He's misusing God's word here. The, the devil actually knows some of God's word. He usually twists it and turns it to mean something other than what God said. Yeah, this is true what God had said, but Jesus understands that he's not called to live life in a frivolous way, that he's not called to just uh, uh, live life in a presumptive way, to kind of uh, walk across the freeway. Can God protect him in that environment? Yes, God can. But God doesn't call him to do dumb things, just to draw attention to himself. And so Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I trust God. I don't test God. I, I don't uh, uh, try to live life in such a way that I'm sort of forcing God's hand. I believe that Jesus here is telling us that he knows that God isn't primarily evident in the spectacular. Sometimes in our lives we are preoccupied with the spectacular with the grand gesture we're looking for the kind of the choirs of angels 
And, and sometimes God is, is evident in quiet places. You remember that uh, in the life of Elijah, uh, after some pretty spectacular stuff, calling fire from heaven in a contest between uh, false prophets, uh, outrunning the chariot of the king uh, for, all the way back to uh, Jerusalem, that Elijah is led to a, a place of stillness, a place a lot happens, the place that's called the wilderness, the same place that Jesus is now in this account, in this narrative. And he needs to be refreshed, and God uses very, very almost mundane, almost boring daily things to refresh Elijah. He gets him out of the context where he's constantly working to, to stand for God. He puts him in a place where it's quiet. He then looks for God. If you remember the story, he also feeds Elijah a meal because he's gone without eating. He also provides Elijah with sleep uh, and rest. He does that more than once because one sleep doesn't always catch us up. Can I have an amen? Uh, he refreshes him, and then he puts him in a cave, and Elijah is kind of waiting for now the grand opening, the grand gesture. And it says that uh, God was not uh, in the fire, and God was not in the storm. Uh, then came, it says, a still, small voice. God shows up sometimes in ways that are profoundly small but powerful, life-changing. Last week we looked at the stump of Jesse. There was nothing left of Israel, and yet there was that branch, that green that was budding forth from that stump of Jesse. God doesn't primarily, prim primarily evident in the spectacular. He, he works and he moves in quiet, faithful ways as well. And we read that when the devil had finished all, his, all this testing, he left them until an opportune time. Well, it started with Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit then into the wilderness where he was tested. Now verse 14, I find this verse fairly shocking. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. After all he'd been through, after the deprivation, after doing without, after giving up something for this season of time, he comes back in the power of the Spirit. That's because he'd been walking with the Spirit. He's been keeping company with his father, his Abba, in the desert. He comes back, news about him spread to the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. They thought well of him. Remember, we had read in Luke earlier that he uh, was growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and in favor with other people. They thought well of him. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. This was one of his quiet habits, to be uh, in the presence of God, with the people of God, to hear from the Word of God, and to be equipped for the ministry of God, the work of God in the world, to be a blessing to other people. And this happened to be his week, apparently, to read the Scripture 
and to uh, teach on it. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to them, to him. They didn't have books. They had scrolls often made of papyrus and uh, or animal skin, and they would be rolled up, and you'd be rolling for a while if you had the, roll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah because he, he has to unroll to Isaiah 61. So he, it may be, take a few moments until we can, you know, we can't flip there quickly or we can't do a quick search on our, our phones to find Isaiah 61. Uh, there was time, there was space for Jesus to find this passage. And he found the place where it is written, the Spirit, again, the Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me and he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to the crushed, to the broken. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to show us a new way of life, to proclaim the year, the season, the era of the Lord's favor. So this story, as we think about Lent and what it means for us, we look back on the time that Jesus spent 40 days doing without and what God did in his life. Deprived of bread, he has the word of God to feed him and sustain him. Deprived of food, he has the Holy Spirit to fill him, to lead him, to guide him. Deprived of what ordinarily we think is vital in our lives, he is dependent on every word of his Father. So think about our lives. And in this season of time, in what way can we kind of follow the path that Jesus took? Well, number one, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. The story starts there. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, following his baptism. We are full, but in time, something that's full changes, doesn't it? Um, this is full right now. I haven't taken a drink from it. By the end of the service, it'll probably be empty because that's just what happens in life, right? Things that are full become empty. Sometimes uh, we dry up inside. Sometimes life pokes holes in our very souls, our being. And as uh, Dwight Moody once said, I was full, but I leak. And so we need to be in the process of asking God to fill us. Uh, you and I at least want the once a month say, God, fill me in a new and a fresh way with your Holy Spirit, which is what we just did as we came to the table. So he was full of the Holy Spirit. We read he was led by the Spirit, and ironically, uh, uh, where he's led is a bit surprising to us. We read that he comes back in the power of the Spirit, so he's empowered by the Spirit. Then he reads Isaiah 61 out loud and affirms that this refers to him. He's anointed by the Spirit, and then he's sent by the Spirit. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to people who are struggling, etc. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He is living in the Holy Spirit. He is walking with the Holy Spirit. This Lent, we can follow Jesus by asking that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit, with his life. And he's willing to do that because Jesus purchased that opportunity for you and I at the cross. It's the new covenant in my blood, he said. This Lent, we ask God, 
Sure, we do away with things to help us to focus. But we ask God at the same time to fill us with his life and his breath. Number two, we notice that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. That's a place of deprivation, a place of no resources. And the Spirit sometimes leads us into the wilderness. The wilderness is a part of life. Seasons of dryness, of emptiness, of lack. They're a part of human existence. And Jesus is led by the Spirit, it's surprising to me still, into the wilderness. And you and I will be also. Not at every season of our lives, but at many seasons of our life, we'll see that we're in the wilderness. And typically when I'm in the wilderness, when I sense I'm in a time of dryness or a time where I'm feeling isolated and alone or, or attacked or empty or, or, or dry, I begin praying more frantically, breathing more shallowly and, and letting God know I'm in the wilderness, this can't be good. I'm struggling. I'm not in an optimal environment for growth. Nobody wants to be in the wilderness. And sometimes I need to breathe. And I need to take a deep breath. And I need to remember that I'm loved by my Father. And that because he loves me, sometimes he tests me. That word for we think about the temptation of Jesus. He's tempted by the devil. But he's being tested also. The word has a dual sense. He's being tested. That's what happens if we go to a, a personal trainer. We get tested. We get pushed to do something that often feels like it's beyond our capacity, but it's intended to, to expand our capacity, not to punish us, not to be cruel. And the testing is, is to help us be strong for the things that are ahead. The, this wilderness is not his last time of struggle. His greatest time of struggle is coming at the close of his life on Good Friday. This season is a time of preparation. And you and I, God loves and wants to discipline us, not punish, discipline us. And so when you're in the wilderness or you're in a time of dryness or a time of of a struggle or a time when you don't see a lot of resources, perhaps. It's a time to kind of quiet our hearts and ask God, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you want to give me that isn't a, maybe a, a, a physical uh, provision? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's remarkable, number three, that the wilderness didn't extinguish the Spirit's fire in Jesus' life. In fact, he returns from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, verse 14. Astounding verse. Every time I look at it, he returns after 40 days of deprivation, after 40 days of struggle, after 40 days of testing, he returns in the power of the Spirit. Just because you're going through a difficult season, difficult time, doesn't mean the Spirit is not at work. Doesn't mean the Spirit is not available. Doesn't mean you can't be full of the Holy Spirit of God. Number four, we notice this, and we think about this in terms of how we can follow Jesus. Jesus is saturated with the Word of God. At every moment, with every form of temptation, 
Jesus responds with the, the appropriate passage of Scripture. It's not just having Scripture memorized. It's knowing what it means. It's having reflected on Scripture to be able to apply it to uh, everyday challenges, everyday issues, everyday struggles. What are the verses that over the next 40 days are going to speak to you, are going to encourage you, are going to nourish you as we are in this season of Lent, this 40 days of Lent? Maybe there's a, a passage of Scripture or a verse or a book of the Bible that you want to focus on. We know, I didn't bring my notes with me about this, but uh, I believe New Testament scholar Craig Evans said that Jesus is constantly quoting the Old Testament. He's not pulling out his scroll from his back pocket, his uh, pocket uh, Gideon scroll. He's not pulling out his iPhone with with the scriptures on it. He has God's word hidden in his heart. He has reflected on God's word so that it's just part of his... DNA, if you will. John Stott used to quote an old, uh, uh, an old theologian who said that uh, if we read Scripture in the way that God calls us to, our blood will become bibline. It'll just be part of who we are. If you cut us, we'll bleed blood. My dad had a church uh, in Phoenix as a, pa- as a pastor that often uh, kind of gave me a bad taste for church <laughs> because of how they treated their shepherd. And um, in a time of controversy, I will never forget a time when uh, someone who was very critical of my dad said, well, I'll say this for Dr. Wilson. Uh, When you ask him a question, he he responds with a passage of Scripture. And that meant so much coming from a person who wouldn't identify as a friend that he was known to be a person who spent time in God's Word. Jesus here obviously had spent time with God's Word. I think he quotes uh, in uh, in, uh, the Gospels, we see Jesus quoting Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's 13 times. He quotes the Psalms dozens of times. He quotes the book of Isaiah that we've been reading the last three weeks previous to this, I believe 40 times. He has God's Word in his heart. He's saturated with the Word of God. We can follow Jesus this Lent by being saturated with the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. There's opportunities in our world that other people haven't had. I was uh, going to a doctor's appointment this week and uh, flipped the channel looking for something and landed on a chapel I didn't uh, recognize, and I heard a a voice that I did recognize, a, a former pastor named Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck's still out there, and he's still preaching God's word. And just, I was refreshed and encouraged again on two different occasions looking to a message from God's word from a pastor that had ministered to me very much when I was uh, in my college years and had just graduated as well. We want to spend time in God's word and having God's word spoken over us and spoken to us and, and opened for us. And we want to open God's word ourselves. How will you do this over this next 40 days? Number five, then the Spirit, the point of all this, of being full of the Spirit, is that the Spirit sends Jesus to serve. You and I are called to serve. Again, my preoccupation could be, okay, I'm going to give up something because it's Lent. I'm going to give up sugar. I'm going to give up smoking. I'm going to 
I, I said a couple years back and shocked some people, I, I want to, as your pastor, I want to give up speed. And people got a little confused. I'm not talking about the, the medication, the chemical. I'm talking about the process, the, the way of life. Two years later, I'm still trying to learn how to give up speed, right, and how to slow down and listen to the voice of God, the heart of God, the word of God. But it's not just a season of giving up. It's a season of giving ourselves to something. Jesus gave up so much for us at the cross, but he gave himself to relationship with the Father, and he gave himself to service. This was his purpose, he tells us, right? In the Gospels we read that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for all humanity. So the Spirit sends Jesus to serve, and he sends Jesus to serve the lost, the lonely, and the broken. This Lent, how can we follow Jesus These five principles, apply them to yourselves. Seek to be full of the Spirit. Ask God to fill you with his Spirit. He'll do it. You won't always be able to recognize it. You won't always be able to see it. It will take time for for change to appear in your life. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's not something that's microwavable. That's not Orville Redenbacher's instant popcorn. That's what we're used to in our culture, right? takes fine time for fruit to flourish and for character qualities that are the evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in us. It takes time for them to show up in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. You can't have patience without being tested in the wilderness, I don't think. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Number two, We can follow Jesus this Lent by recognizing that when we're in the wilderness doesn't mean that we are alone. Doesn't mean that God has things for us to learn. Doesn't mean that God won't provide for us. God will provide. Changing our perspective about times of difficulty that all of us go through. How can we follow Jesus this Lent? Number three, recognize that the Holy Spirit can still be at work in our hearts, and in our circumstances. Number four, we can ask God to help us have a life saturated with the word of God. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We should be very preoccupied with those words. And number five, we follow Jesus this Lent when we recognize that God's spirit sends us to serve as well. That Jesus came, lived his life, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, was raised the third day. But after his ascension, he poured out the Holy Spirit on us. That's the new covenant coming into reality. And the Spirit comes to us not just to make us feel warm inside. He sends uh, the Spirit to us so that we can be a blessing to everyone around us. That we can look. And so God, as we think about this season of time, it's fine if we give something up, but you certainly call us to give ourselves to something. We may do some fasting, but would you help us also do some feasting? Would you help us also 
focus on Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Learn to follow Jesus. And would you awaken our hearts and minds to people that are right around us who may need encouragement, who may need prayer, who may need hospital, uh, hospitality and a warm welcome, who may need encouragement. You call us to follow Jesus in being a blessing to the world. May this season reflect your priority in our own lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, amen. Would you turn and greet five people? thought I'd change it up just so you don't get uh, comfortable and familiar. Look for someone to encourage and just say, I'm glad to see you today. Hope God blesses you today and this week and this month.